Welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and as always, I'm so glad to get to spend time with you today. I feel like it's been a bit since I've been with you, and I'm just going to do a little bit of housekeeping and share a quick summer update. So we're closing in on the Sermon on the Mount series, and after today's episode, there's only two left. So I will also, as I say that, I will also link to the whole series and the show notes for this episode. So Unless an episode is really on my heart to share, I'm planning on taking July and August off from the podcast. For sure, I'll be taking a break from the Sermon on the Mount series, and I'll start it back up in September. And also, as I'm saying September, because this is coming fast, um, the G3 conference is September down in Atlanta. So it's g3men.org is the website, but I'll link to it to get to the conference. But I am so hoping to see you there. If you've not registered yet and you want to, make sure to use the code G3TH and you get 30% off your registration. And it even is off the student registration too. So I'll put those details in the show notes too. But but let me come back to the Sermon on the Mount. I got a little rabbit trail going on there. So we're going to come back to the next episode in the Sermon on the Mount in September, and then we'll finish the series with the October podcast episode. I have this whole slew of podcast list ideas that has been growing and growing. I'm always welcome to new ideas, and a lot of them on this list are some of your ideas. So um, very simply, if you're a newsletter subscriber, you can just hit reply to whatever newsletter you get when you get it in your inbox and send me your ideas. You can also message me on social media, or you can contact me directly through the blog at thankfulhomemaker.com. So my bi-monthly newsletters, I call them the coffee chat and the tea time. They're going to continue as usual where coffee chat's a little longer, tea time's a little shorter. They're going to continue as usual where I just share various resources to really help and encourage you in your role as a Christian homemaker as you go about your days. It's things that I have come across that I've really appreciated or read other places that I've benefited from, and that's what I'm sharing with you. It's free to subscribe. You get access to the free library of printables, so I'd obviously love you to subscribe. It's really a way too to know what's going on at the blog and the podcast too. It's a way I'm able to communicate and just share what's happening. So I'd love that. So also I have something really exciting here today to share with you. As we get started today, I want to share about this free bundle that's going to help you transform your home. So my friend, Anne, she is a blogger and podcaster over at One Determined Life. She's put together the Building a Christ-Centered Home Bundle. And the bundle is free. It's a collaborative effort between online Christian business owners who create digital products and training to serve Christians. And I really appreciate the purpose and the design of the bundle because it's to help us as Christian women to establish a strong foundation for our family's spiritual lives and to cultivate a home environment that honors God. So really good stuff here. This bundle, is, it has all kinds of various digital tools and resources inside. And when you sign up, it's at onedeterminedlife.com backslash bundle. You don't have to remember that. I'll put that in the show notes, the link. But if you want to, that's it, onedeterminedlife.com backslash bundle. 
You'll be signed up. You'll get instant access to the bundle when it becomes available. And it's it's free. Yep, I said free. So there's products related to Parrington. Um, I didn't even say that right. Parenting, marriage, family, Bible study, finance, business, practical resources to help you incorporate your faith into your daily routines. I signed up for it. I hope you'll go check it out. OneDeterminedLife.com backslash bundle. And that's where you sign up to get access to your free bundle. I'll put that all in the show notes for this episode. But again, it was OneDeterminedLife.com backslash bundle. So check that out. So today we're on episode 147 and it's titled The Danger of Self-Deception. And we're working through Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23. And as we continue in our time in the Sermon on the Mount, I want to share John Stott stated on this particular passage that in these passages, Jesus is confronting us with himself. So in this passage, we have the warning of two alternatives laid before us. This is a very somber passage. It's one we are all familiar with. I'm going to read it here in a moment. But so depending on where we fall, this determines our eternal destiny. And Jesus is addressing those who believe they are in the kingdom, but the reality is they're not. There's no neutrality with Jesus. It is black and white, right? You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. You're either born again or you're dead in your sin. You're either a child of God or a child of Satan. I'm going to read 1 John 3.10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So let me read our text for today. We are in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. J.C. Ryle stated on this passage, the Lord Jesus winds up the Sermon on the Mount by a passage of heart-piercing application. He turns from false prophets to false professors, from unsound teachers to unsound hearers. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he considered this section, he said, these surely are in many ways the most solemn and solemnizing words ever uttered in this world, not only by any man, but even by the Son of God himself. So since these are the words of Jesus and not just any man, we need to give them our utmost attention. We worked through last time together on the warning about false teachers or false prophets to not be misled by them. Remember, they were wolves in sheep's clothing. And now today, we have the warning about us as being self-deceived. Jesus is making a statement here too in this text of the reality that we're all going to stand before God in the final judgment. We already know from our previous time in the sermon that there's going to be few who enter by the narrow gate and that many are on the road to destruction. That was our Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 to 14. And we see in our passage today that many are being deceived into believing they are going to heaven when they die when they are actually on the road to hell. There's no more frightening or scary deception in this life than thinking or believing you are saved when you are lost, thinking you are a Christian when you are not a Christian, thinking you are born again when you're dead in your sin. 
We've seen in our time in the sermon that Jesus set forth the divine standards of his kingdom, and we can sum them up in one word. It's righteousness. Matthew 5.20 told us, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So entrance into the kingdom is dependent upon a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, a divine righteousness that comes from God, and it's beyond our human capacity to attain. The scribes and Pharisees outwardly seem to do all the right things, and I know we've talked about this a lot, but I need to come back to it because it's important here. They prayed and fasted, and they didn't murder or commit adultery. They seemed outwardly to perfectly follow the law, but inwardly they were, as Jesus described, and Matthew 23, 27, like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. The Sermon on the Mount, it shows us the inadequacy of human resources to deal with God's kingdom. And then it brings us to the point of recognizing our great need for God's grace and his righteousness. John MacArthur stated, the purpose of of the Sermon on the Mount then is identical to the purpose of the law of God in the Old Testament. He says, when God gave the law on Sinai, the law was not given in order to show man how good he must be. The law was given to show man how good he couldn't be, how bad he was, how short he came. And he continues, he said, and Paul summed it up when he said, for all have sinned and come what? Short of the glory of God. And Paul says that the law was our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. The law was what whipped us, and that is essentially what is going on in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is upholding the law of God. So, friend, the standard hasn't changed. We need to see how short we fall, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that are blessed are the ones that realize they are spiritually bankrupt before the Lord. The gospel tells us we have no right to be in the presence of God. But if we believe in Jesus, who died in our place, bore the punishment for our sins, and granted us his righteousness, we can then enjoy being in God's presence forever. Our acceptance before God is fully by his grace and mercy. It's only because Jesus lived the perfect life we couldn't live and died the death we deserve. And he took on all the punishment for our sin upon himself at the cross, and then he rose again. By his wounds, we are healed. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Matthew 7, 21 tells us, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So our verse, that was a long introduction again. I seem to be doing that lately. But our verse here in Matthew 7, 21 starts off with not everyone. So it's telling us that some of those that Jesus is talking about here that he's talking to here, I should say. They're, they're true believers, right? Some of them are truly saying, Lord, Lord, from a heart that is regenerate. But some here are calling Jesus Lord, Lord, and they don't possess him as their Lord. First John 2, um, 4 through 5 states, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. So we know we need a verbal profession of Christ to be saved. Paul wrote in Romans 10, 9 through 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Martin Lloyd-Jones stated, he says, a man who does not say, Lord, Lord, shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is, of course, the starting point in this whole question of salvation. He says, no man is a Christian unless he says, Lord, Lord, 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. So to profess Jesus as Lord, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 tells us no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The problem we have that Jesus is addressing is that their profession was just lip service. It was just their lips and not their life. They never knew Jesus as Lord. They never submitted to his Lordship. They never obeyed his will. Luke 6, 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? There's a big difference between saying and doing. John Stott stated, he said, we who claim to be Christians in our day have made a profession of faith in Jesus privately in conversion and publicly in baptism. We appear to honor Jesus by referring to him as the Lord or our Lord. We recite the creed in church and sing hymns expressive of devotion to Christ. We even exercise a variety of ministries in his name, but he's not impressed by our pious and orthodox words. He still asks for evidence of our sincerity in good works of obedience. James chapter 1, familiar verses to all of us, verses 22 to 25, it warns us, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we're called in God's word to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, to see if we're in the faith. I'm referencing Second Corinthians 13, 5 there. And as we do this, we're looking at our hearts, at our motives and desires. Are they set towards God's holiness and glory? Or are they set to live lives to just please ourselves? We're going to sin. And as believers, we hate our sin, and we, when we do sin, I, it's that, that conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? We want to make things right with God and then others if needed. Let me read um, 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So as we go along our Christian life, and we are all at various places in our sanctification. That's becoming more and more like Jesus. As we walk in the light, and this obviously doesn't mean sinless perfection because verse eight here tells us, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. We are going to be dealing with sin in our lives as long as we are on this earth. But as we walk in the light, that means like the gospel, it's always at the forefront of our minds and we're aware of God's holiness. So when we do sin, as I said earlier, we hate it, right? We confess it before the Lord, we seek his forgiveness, and we keep on walking in the light. We should be concerned that we may be self-deceived if we are continuing in sin and we are not convicted about it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
And Ephesians 5, 5 through 6 states, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. John MacArthur had some great stuff in um, a sermon in his commentary, and he stated on these particular verses here, he said, when a couple lives together without being married, when a person who practices homosexuality, when someone is deceptive and dishonest in business or is hateful and vengeful or habitually practices any sin without remorse or repentance, he states such persons cannot be Christian no matter what sort of experience they claim to have had or what sort of testimony they now make. He continues, he says, the person who professes to be a Christian but who habitually and unrepentantly continues in known sin makes God to be out, makes God makes out God to be a liar because his word expressly denies that any such person belongs to him. And he's referencing there first John 3, 6 through 10. So, my dear friend, we don't want to be deceived where we stand with the Lord. Examine your heart. Do you have a lifestyle or habitual sin that you are unrepentant about? Or maybe you have no remorse over and you clearly know what God's word says about it. MacArthur says, a person who is not concerned about having his present sins cleansed has good reason to doubt that his past sin has been forgiven. So don't be deceived into thinking your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. We are not good. The Bible is clear. There's no one good. No, not one. Only God is good. Our sin separates us from God. And any good deeds we do apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ in our lives are not going to cancel the the consequences of sin. And one more area I want to address regarding self-deception, thinking we're a believer when we truly are not, it's, it's in the area of one who's maybe very knowledgeable in the Bible and the gospel and is very active in church. This person may be seemingly doing all the right things, but what John MacArthur states about him, he says, he lives in a constant state of sinfulness with no thought of confessing and forsaking his sin or of seeking after righteousness. He looks to feelings, experiences, healings, angels, earthly material blessings, promises, and a host of other external things for proof of his salvation. He's not concerned about decreasing sin or increasing righteousness. He's not concerned about God's commands, God's standards, or God's glory, but only what he can get out of God for himself. It's as Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests, as he said, he is more concerned about the byproducts of the faith than the fruit itself. So we know Satan is a deceiver. He's very sly at deceiving people into believing they are saved when they're not. So other men, the the false prophets that we talked about in the last episode in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20, if you've not listened in, take a listen into that one. They are really good at deceiving men into thinking that they are right with the Lord when they're not. And what I want us to see here clearly and hold to is to make sure we are not deceived, that we are in Christ, that we have repented of our sins and come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we are on the narrow road, the true, the one true way 
our coming to Jesus isn't just head knowledge, but by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's changed our hearts, our desires, our motives, and it's evident in our daily walk with him. We're, we're being changed more and more into his likeness. We hate our sin, and we have hearts that seek repentance and forgiveness when we do sin. We keep on walking in the light. The fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives. We are growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Who Am I? It's on our identity in Christ. Excellent read if you've not read it. It's a little book. Excellent read. I'll link to that in the show notes. It had some excellent questions in chapter five for us to examine our hearts that I want to share with you. He was asking us, do we show evidence of being new creations in Christ? And these are some questions to take the time to pray through. And I'll link to an article that I have these questions and I also have more questions and some um, verses also there to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. I think that's the title of the article too. Examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. I think that's it, but I'll link to it. So he his, his questions begin with, what is my attitude toward God? Do I gladly acknowledge my dependence on him and my accountability to him? What is my attitude toward my sin? Am I concerned or indifferent about it? What is my attitude toward Jesus Christ? Do I trust him as the one who died for my sins on the cross? What is my attitude toward the Bible? Do I truly want to grow in my understanding and application of it? What is my attitude toward prayer? Do I also want to grow in this area of my life or am I quite content to see prayer as an occasional call out to God for help? What is my attitude toward other Christians? Do I appreciate being with them and learning from them? Or do I actually prefer the company and lifestyle of my non-Christian friends? Mr. Bridges writes, he says, these are important questions that we should seek to answer truthfully. The stakes are too high to ignore them or play games with them. Our eternal destiny is at stake and eternity lasts forever. There's no end to it. All of us will spend eternity in the blessed presence of God or we will spend it under the never-ending curse and wrath of God. So the question each of us should honestly face is this. Do I have some evidence that I am a new creation? Can we say something such as this? Yes, I still struggle with remaining sin, and I see my frequent failures. But as I look at all these questions, I can truthfully say that though I have a long way to go, I believe I'm headed in the right direction. Having examined ourselves... This part I like that he said. He said, we should also be concerned, and this is why I'm doing this episode. We should also be concerned for friends and relatives who consider themselves to be Christians. I'm just, as I'm putting this together, really, as I have put this together, I'm praying for any of you who don't know where you are spiritually, who maybe are caught up in false religions. Maybe you're caught up in Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness, or maybe you're entrenched in Catholicism and you're not knowing the one true way to Jesus. I'm calling out to you, or you're caught up in New Age spirituality or something, okay? These are people who would consider themselves to be Christians, but they're not. And I'm going to continue on with Mr. Bridges here, but who show little or no evidence of being new creations. He says, at the very least, we should pray that God will lead them to a genuine saving knowledge of Christ. And then, depending on our relationship with them, we can seek to graciously challenge them to examine themselves. So I will link to that article, Questions to Examine Yourself to See if You're in the Faith. So to kindly, that article would also be one to kindly share with a friend who claims to be a Christian, but isn't showing evidence with the hopes that they will examine themselves. If we possess true faith in Jesus Christ Christ for salvation, 
it's going to be clearly evident in our works. John MacArthur, he has a sermon on these verses too, and I like the title of it. He called it Empty Words because that's so fitting, right? So let me, as we work down here, let me read verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 7. 22 starts, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, I, I want to read I have all these lengthy quotes, but I have a really good one. I want to read a lengthy quote, but very impactful commentary from Sinclair Ferguson, who I just appreciate so much on these last two verses in our text today. I really was struggling with what parts and pieces to share, and I just ended up going up with the whole quote because it's so good. So he titles um, this section in his book. His book is just called The Sermon on the Mount, and I think it's just from his sermons he did on this at his church, but this particular section, he titled it, The False Prophet is Identified by His Priorities. So let me read this to you. He said, regarding these last two verses on Matthew 7, 22 and 23, he said, on the last day, these prophets will say to Jesus, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and perform many miracles? But Jesus will reject their claims to him. Why? They placed success before obedience, right? Verse 21, only those who do the will of the Father belong to the kingdom. So they put their own position before their service. And most obviously, and I love this part, they substituted gifts for grace. So he continues, for all their mysteriousness, Jesus's words teach us a basic lesson in spiritual discernment. It is possible to exercise, quote, spiritual gifts, right? Prophecy, miracles, exorcism of demons are specifically mentioned in verse 22, yet be a total stranger to God's saving grace. The astounding things men can do in public is no certain indication of where they stand in private before the judgment of Jesus Christ. What really counts is how we are related to Christ himself. That is why the gospel has so much more to say about the power of Christ changing our characters than about the power of Christ changing the course of nature. That distinction is a timely warning to our own generation. He says we are as easily mesmerized by people with unusual powers as was our Lord's generation. We're fascinated by signs, but Jesus is not a wonder worker. He is a savior. He delivers us from sin and transforms us morally to be like himself. That is the fruit of the true prophet of God. The true prophet is far more interested in grace than in gifts, both in his own life and in the lives of those to whom he ministers. He says, you have chosen the gate through which you will go, but have you continued to expose your life to the influences that will keep you on the way of Christ? Or have you been sidetracked by false teaching and teachers failing to recognize the sour and harmful fruit they will produce in your life? Sinclair finishes here, watch out for false prophets, says Jesus. So just because someone can preach or prophesy doesn't prove they are a true prophet. Balaam gave an accurate message there in Numbers 22 to 25, but he was not a believer. And King Saul prophesied while under the spirit of prophecy, but he was lost. Judas, right, had the power to cast demons in Luke 10, 17, it states that, but out, he was outside of the kingdom. Jesus states in Luke 10, 20, not to rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but to rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Matthew 24, 24 tells us false prophets will arise and perform many signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Just because a man can seemingly do great signs and wonders is not a proof of his salvation. Satan is at work, 
Ephesians 2.2 tells us the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Satan works to keep people in bondage. And he would love to get those to say, Lord, Lord, and think they are saved when they're not. And then for them to lead others astray. Matthew 7.22 tells us there will be many, many who will say to me, Lord, Lord, not a few. The many are lost because they do not do God's will. God's will for those in the kingdom is revealed to us in the Sermon on the Mount. It takes us back to the Beatitudes. Do our lives conform to the character of the kingdom? Are we first off? Are we poor in spirit? Are we meek? Do we take a stand for truth? Are we merciful, compassionate? Are we forgiving? Martin Lloyd-Jones stated on the Sermon on the Mount, this is how the Christian is meant to live. The standards laid before us in the Sermon on the Mount go beyond those in the Law of Moses. Remember our Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is calling us not only to right actions, but right attitudes. Internal changes bring external changes. What is on the inside will manifest itself on the outside. What we are determines what we do. Character comes before conduct. When our attitudes and our thinking are right, our actions will be right. This is impossible to accomplish on our own and our own strength as fallen human beings. It's not impossible with God though, right? The sermon lays out clearly we are utterly helpless without God intervening in our lives and causing us to be born again. We need a new birth because only those with God's spirit at work within them can fulfill the demands set before us in this sermon. James Montgomery Boyce reminds us what matters is our own personal commitment to Jesus Christ. He states, are you a Christian? That is the question. Is it real? The answer to that question does not depend upon your intellectual beliefs, Lord, Lord, or upon your good works, did we not prophesy in your name, but upon your relationship to the Lord Jesus. So my friend, today I ask all of us to examine our hearts. Have we come to know and are we truly known by Jesus? Have we seen ourselves as a sinner against a holy and perfect and righteous God and repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus Christ alone for our, our forgiveness? I want to end our time here with these words from a cathedral in Lubeck, Germany. It reads, Thus speaketh, speaketh Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. Matthew 5, 6 tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And John 6, 37 tells us, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus truly is enough always, my friend. Hang with me because I have kind of a special little bonus for you here at the end. So don't, don't leave me yet. Give me another minute of your time here. I am grateful for your time. Always the full show notes at the blog, right? All the verses and links and quotes will be over there at thankfulhomemaker.com. 
Just a quick reminder, don't forget to sign up to receive your free bundle, um, Building a Christ-Centered Home Bundle from Anne at One Determined Life. I'll link to that in the show notes, onedeterminedlife.com backslash bundle. And this is my special. This is so exciting. Bella Paper, um, it is my go-to shop when I'm looking for a planner or journal or cards or notebooks. Their products are so beautiful. They're a Christian company, so all their products are Christ-focused. They have scripture all throughout them. It doesn't get any better than that. I, and they're beautiful. I love that. I cannot say that enough. They are just well-designed, beautiful products, very functional and practical to help you in your day-to-day life as you walk with the Lord. I have more to share about them and a giveaway coming soon too. So you're going to hear more about that. So stay tuned. Subscribe to my newsletter, like I said earlier, so you don't miss all the details on the giveaway. And right now, Bella Paper just released their 2024 line, and they have a pre-order sale going on for 25% off. If you, and also, so you the 25% off sale is going on now. And if you use the code THANKFUL10, T-H-A-N-K-F-U-L-1-0, it's not case sensitive, you get an additional 10% off your purchase in addition to that 25%. So that's 35% off. But the pre-order sale is only going on until June 29th. So head over quick, because I know this episode is coming out. It came out on June 26th. So you only have a couple days, but the code thankful 10 will be good after the sale too. So I'll link to all that in the show notes. So such good stuff to miss, right? The building a Christ centered home bundle. Um, you can also get a 2024 planner right now for a great price from Bella paper. Um, yeah, that's really it. Sign up for my newsletter. And if I'm not back here in the summer, just randomly popping in on you, I will be back here on the podcast in September. And I am so, so grateful for you, my friend. And I do pray you have a very blessed week. 